For those of you that may be new here this morning, um, my husband and I pastored this church together. That was the um, incredibly handsome man that just led us in worship. And yes, yes, yes. Um, and if you are new here, just to give you a little introduction, we're in the middle of a series. <laughs> Some of you look nervous. You're like, what's coming next? It's called love, sex, and everything in between. So I'm just going to give you a little forewarning. This is a little bit like a family conversation that you've just joined this morning. So welcome to the family. (laughs) And with that said, when I say it's a family conversation, let's just identify that a large portion of our church is in the 20 to 30-year-old age bracket. A large portion of our church is single, not all. We've done several weddings over the, I think over the past three years, it's something like 15 to 20 weddings, like it's been a lot. Um, But this is what I want to say first and foremost. When we discuss the topic of sexuality and actually everything that I share from the word of God this morning, this is not directed to single people who are not married and at this point in their life are abstaining from sexual relations. This is not directed to marry people who are married and are, um, have made a covenant before God to remain faithful to one spouse and may be struggling in their fidelity. This is not directed at um, heterosexuals that may struggle with attraction to the opposite sex only. And this is not directed at homosexuals that may struggle with same-sex attraction. This is what I want you to understand this morning is that sexuality affects all of us regardless of your age, your marital status, regardless of the past that you have, whether there's a past of abuse, whether there's a past of what we would call purity in in generations past, but I know we try to avoid that (laughs) uh, as of recent years. All of those categories, this is what I'm going to say to you this morning, this message is not for the person to the right or to the left of you or the person in a different category than you. This message is for you this morning. So you, and and the reason I say that is as charismatic Christians, oftentimes the heterosexual has a very easy time justifying their sin and their compromise and somehow deeming homosexual sin as being in a different category or more perverse. But this is what I'm going to say to you this morning. I don't care who you are. And what you struggle with, the word of God is very clear that sexuality is designed for a specific purpose in a specific place, and we're going to talk about that this morning. So this is also what I want to identify for us, is first and foremost, um, sexuality is much more prevalent and at the forefront of people's minds than we would like to think. And when I say that, Nine out of 10 individuals, when they go to the altar, they are coming with previous sexual experience. I'm not saying that nine out of 10, when they go to the altar, are are coming as non-virgins. When I say previous sexual experience, that could be in the area of former abuse uh, from a predator. That could be in the form of uh, a pornography addiction. That could be in the form of masturbation. It, c- it could be in many, many forms, but meaning there is a, a sexual activity in their lives. So the, the former notion in the church that we're all just trying to get everybody to the altar as a virgin just is not a reality. Like it's just not, most people, 
even in their adolescence, before their 20s, have already been exposed and have some level of activity. With that said, four out of five females have had some form of sexual violation. And when I say that, that does not mean that they have been physic always physically touched. That can even be derogatory, inappropriate, sexualized comments that make them feel unclean and shameful regarding their sexuality. So do you guys understand the scope of, uh, and I don't, I don't know if this research is accurate, but there was an anonymous survey that was done that basically has gauged that 90% um, of college students view pornography daily. That's a really high percent, isn't it? Now, the interesting thing about all of this is that when it comes to sexuality, and we can find this in the Word of God, is that ultimately our sexuality is created for the, for the connection and the intimacy that we experience in, in the context of a lifelong covenant and commitment to someone. Now, saying that, let's identify that not everybody gets married and that we are sexual beings even before we enter the covenant of marriage. So what do you do with that context? And this is what we're going to look at today in the Word of God. Is that regardless of whether you have an outlet for the expression of your sexuality, your sexuality is an indicator that you were created for connection and intimacy. And guess what? Before we have connection and intimacy with any individual, first and foremost, you're created for connection and intimacy with God. And so your sexuality, when you struggle with temptation, with desire, with all of those things, ultimately what it should be to you is an indicator of, oh, I have an appetite for intimacy and connection, and first and foremost, I need to be finding that in fellowship and relationship with Christ. So I'm, I'm saying all of that as we set the precedence for our conversation today. So for this, I'm just going to say, at the Temple House, we talk about sex. At the Temple House, we have a 10-year-old that is super comfortable talking about sex. To a point that I've actually had to explain to him that you can dialogue with mummy and daddy and maybe meme pepe, although they might turn red, you know. <laughs> but outside of that, in, in the general sense, most people are not comfortable, so just let's just keep this to a conversation in our house. But I say that to you because it is actually healthy and normal for us to have open dialogue about sexuality. And I'm going to tell you two stories about my son because it's nice to be lighthearted and humorous before we talk about fornication. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you two stories about my son that are indicators of why we need to talk about sexuality and how we need to talk about sexuality. Uh, so first and foremost, the fourth story about my son is, um, I won't go into all the details, but Abram and I were having a much larger conversation um, about the fact that since my son, I have not had a successful pregnancy. So I either can't conceive or when I do, I have not carried full term. So my son understands this. My son, in that context, um, he also wants, he really, really, really wants me to have another. 
and we are in the process of adopting, and so there's like a bigger conversation happening in our house, but I say all that to say, one day as I was trying to put like the pressure back on him, because he was kind of like, I'm the last temple male, and the temple bloodline mummy, like, you know, yeah. It was a beautiful conversation, because then when I talked about adoption, it explained, well, forever the temple bloodline now changes, and this is the temple bloodline when we adopt, and all, it was a beautiful conversation, but I kind of put it back on him, and I looked at him, and I said, guess what? When you get married, you can have as many children as you want, and you can populate the earth with temples, and so therefore the temple bloodline will, and you want to know the cutest thing? I will explain this, but he looked right at me. And he goes, well, what if my wife can't have sex like you can't? And I literally like, so everybody that's in, everybody that's a parent in the room knows this right here. The internal, when your kid something, says something and you want to go, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, where'd you get that information? And what did I ever say that led you to believe that? And, and the calm, cool, and oh, well, what do you mean by that comment, Abram? <laughs> so I said to him, I said, what do you, what do you mean mommy can't have sex? <laughs> and um, he goes, well, you can't have babies. And I paused, <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, just because a sperm and an egg either don't meet or when they do meet, there's not a viable pregnancy doesn't mean that sex can't happen. Sex can happen but pregnancy may not happen. And he goes, and you could tell, at this, and this is what I'm pointing out to you. In Christian culture, for many of you raised in Christian homes, that's actually where your parents wanted it to stay, of sex is for babies. You have sex, you have a baby. If you don't want a baby, don't have sex. <laughs> and I got to slow down. So I very easily could have been like, yep, Abram, you're right. No babies means no sex for mommy. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> but instead I went on to say, oh no, mommy, mommy can do that. And mommy does do that. Mommy just doesn't, like, it's not all working inside here. Well, and that is good for my son to understand, like, that sexuality and the expression of sexuality that even if there isn't a baby, so, and let's be honest, we, we all, all of us, all y'all in this room, when you heard about sex, I literally did the math. I was like, that means my parents had sex three times because there's three kids. You know, we all do that. Like that's, wow, you know. <laughs> and, and in all honesty, some of you never ever got the sex talks from your parents because they were like too humiliated and embarrassed to like look you in the eye and talk to you about it. Others of you got the sex talk, but it literally stopped. Like, that was a conversation, and then you never, ever, ever say that word again in your house. Like, you know, it's kind of like, don't ever talk about that again. Like, we talked about it. I know where everything goes. I know how it gets there. And let's just leave it at that. Like, I don't want to talk to you about that again. But can I tell you something? The fact that my child will openly, like, dialogue and be like, what if my wife can't have sex like you, mommy? <laughs> you know, like, the fact that there's a conversation. Do you know what's great? A couple days later... We're doing like our family devotional, and I, I can't remember what we were discussing. I th maybe it was something about pregnancy and adoption and stuff. But um, Abram brought it up to Daryl, <laughs> and he was like, yeah. He's like, so mom can have sex even though she doesn't have babies, <laughs> you know. And Daryl goes, yeah, yeah. And Abram goes, why would anybody do that? 
Like almost kind of like, what would be the purpose of that? Like that's like an awkward position and everything. It's just, and you know, I literally sat, it was one of those mom moments where I was like, how are you going to answer that? Why do we do that? Because <laughs> like, you, you definitely don't want it to sound too magical to a 10-year-old because then like they'll be wanting to try it. You know, so, you know, so I'm kind of like looking at my husband and can I just tell you, Daryl Temple for the win. You, like parenting with Daryl is like... He's the best. He is. He's the best. Like, he, he can talk about these things without turning red, and he just is so casual and comfortable. And um, so when he said it, I'm, like, looking at him going, what's the answer for that? Yeah, why? Like, what are you going to tell him? And, you know, I'm in, inwardly panicking. And Daryl just so naturally looks at my, at my son and says, oh, that's the way mommies and daddies show each other that they love each other. And I went, Yeah. <laughs> Sure is. <laughs> and then my little, my little ten-year-old just went, like he took that mummies and daddy. Okay, that's how you show each other that you love each other. But do you understand like the amount of like beauty and innocence and comfortability and like he's totally fine telling me that one day he's gonna do that. <laughs> you know, like he's not like yeah, mom, like never. I'm all, all set. And so that was one of our conversations that we had had. And then, like, one day, we're, like, literally just driving down the street. And out of nowhere, and I, when I say out of nowhere, we were not talking about anything of any depth or sexuality. He just flat out says, um, Mom, when I get older and I have sex, I'm going to do it the Christian way. <laughs> and I, again, had this moment where I, I paused and I thought, Christian way. Do so you think that's with clothes on? Like, you know. <laughs> I'm like, what's the Christian way? I'm like, what's he thinks the Christian way? <laughs> and I went, oh. You know, and I did my, like, try to stay calm. I said, oh, do Christians do that different than everybody else? And he goes, yes. And I said, how do Christians do that? <laughs> and, and you know what he said? He goes, they do it when they're married. The Christian way. I'm going to do it the Christian way. <laughs> so I went from a moment of shock of going, what's the Christian way? <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing it the Christian way. <laughs> to me going, yes, the Christian way. Yes, when you're married. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> you guys are all laughing. I'm glad. <laughs> When I first announced what we were talking about today, some of you look scared. Now you look a little more comfortable. But this is what I'm going to say to you. We live in a culture and a time that wants to confuse, convolute, and make very complex the issue of sexuality. But can I tell you something today? We have the word of God, which is eternal, that was written for humanity since the beginning of time. And guess what? There is nothing new under the sun. That's what the word of God says. So the generation in which we live, this word fully and appropriately applies to us 
now. And this is what I want to encourage you. If you think the Bible does not address sexuality, you clearly have not read it. Because from Genesis to Revelations, we find it is full of sexual scandal, sexual sin, sexual depravity. We find that it's full of repentance and people being restored in the healing power of Jesus Christ. We find a Jesus that does not condemn and accuse, but a Jesus that gives nothing but mercy and compassion. It is the entirety of the gospel is to understand that he came for those of us that are broken. And so this is why this conversation is so important, is because in our generation, I will tell you, there is a large amount of brokenness as it relates to sexuality. So this is where we're going to start, first and foremost, with the Word of God. And if we don't settle this issue, there's kind of no other conversation to have. Is that God is the creator of humanity. That God created us both male and female. And can I just tell you something this morning? For every place that you think that you have a complicated little mess that maybe God doesn't understand, this is phenomenal. First of all, he created you, therefore he knows how you were designed. He knows how you operate best. So can I just say this to you? In the area of your sexuality, this is not a conversation that is outside of dialoguing with God and asking God and consulting God and finding God's wisdom. That in the very same way that when someone creates something and they are the inventor, they get to say, this is how it will operate at its optimum use or at its highest efficiency. How many of you guys ever have clothing and it has a tag and it has instructions? Because the person that knows that material knows if you stick wool in the dryer, it will, have you ever done that? Wool in the dryer? It just completely shrinks and you can never wear it again. Now, let me say something to you. Your identity, your personality, who you were fashioned and created to be is far more valuable than a garment of clothing. So I am not deducing us to that uh, uh, amount of uh, being disposable. But this is what I am saying to you in a very real sense that when we want to take upon ourselves telling ourselves how to care for ourselves taking cues from culture or society and things that are ever changing our cue on what we need and what we think will satisfy us or how we should express ourselves and find pleasure and all of those things. Instead, there is a designer, there is an originator, there is a creator that says, this is how you were fashioned and you were formed. And this is how you will find the greatest measure of fulfillment and contentment and satisfaction. So this is what I want to submit to you today. In a culture that has a lot of opinions, and I'm going to tell you something, those opinions will change from year to year. And can I just, I, I, know, I know we're right around the corner from MIT and we all love science here. Even science changes year to year. That what we say is the authority, and this is what it says, then we go, we've had a new development and a new discovery, and now it's changed. So therefore, what we do is we actually subject ourselves to the authority of God's word that is eternal 
and never changes. And so this is what I want to encourage you here this morning is that on the topic of our sexuality is that we do not adapt ourselves to the ever-changing tide of our culture. That we do not adapt ourselves to what becomes the cultural norm of 2020. But instead that we find the wisdom of God. And can I, I'm going to say something to you this morning. You will find freedom in the truth of God's word. <clears throat> So first and foremost, I'm just going to lay out for you super basically. How are we? Wow. Wow. Um, super basic. We're not going to go through all these scriptures, but what I want you to understand is that in the word of God, all the way back to Exodus, that basically when he says, thou shall not commit adultery, when the word adultery is used, it's being used in the context of marriage and fidelity, that you are committed to one person and one person only. The word fornication has to do with every other sin outside of marriage, meaning illicit sex, because sex is only ordained by God in, in, in the covenant of lifelong relationship of being committed to one another. So we're not going to go into a million scriptures today on adultery and fornication and all of those things, but just for you to understand that the biblical precedence and the language of fornication and adultery... But 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, flee fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body. But the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? I want you to say those words, I am not my own. I'll set you free right there. <laughs> I am not my own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, you should underline, explanation point, highlight. Glorify God in your body. And so this is what we're going to look at today is first and foremost... We all have sexual desires and temptations. The question is, is what we do with our desires? Depending on, let's, let's put it in this language. We all have appetite, right? How many of you here have an appetite for food? I hope so. Sign that you're alive. Your appetite for food in and of itself is not sinful. How you choose to fulfill your appetite can become sinful. So let's, let's use this as an example. Anybody that knows me knows I like cannolis. I really like cannolis. Uh, Lily, brought, Lily and Kaylin brought some to my house the other night, and I forgot to share them. <laughs> and most of you might think, what would one do with four cannolis? Well, in my situation, I would eat four cannolis. <laughs> Can I tell you something? I very legitimately could eat, could eat cannolis every day of the week just because I love it so much. I have a desire for food, but my body was actually created and designed and functions best with food that God has created from the earth, like kale and spinach and carrots. 
Let me just say something to you, Jay. Do you know today, and I'm taking this off of sexuality for a moment, and this applies to sexuality, that you can eat all the garbage on the planet, and I'm not even talking about me growing in, in numerical size and, and waistline, inwardly my body will not be healthy. It will not be, I might even look healthy on the outside. But inwardly, I will not be healthy. And, and guess what? I might be able to get by with a year. I might be able to get by with two years. I might be able to get by with three years. Who knows how long I could go by? But do you want to know there would come a point in time where I would be in a hospital, and as they're surveying my heart, they would be letting me know, you have coronary artery disease. That's not something you can see externally. That's not something that affected you externally. But because of years and years and years of you not eating and feeding your body appropriately, it's now diseased inwardly. Can I say something to you this morning? It is the very, very same with an appetite that you have for sexuality. Or let me just say, an appetite for connection and intimacy. If you choose to satisfy that desire in an unhealthy way, you may not reap the consequences of that immediately, today or tomorrow, but if you continue on that trajectory, the word of God is very clear that those that sow to the flesh will of the flesh reap what? Death and corruption. It is the same thing. So you have an appetite. The appetite that you have in and of itself is not sinful. But the question then becomes how you satisfy that appetite. Let me hear you. Let me hear, let you hear this this morning. Will either lead to blessing or bondage in your life. And that is in essence what we're talking about in the area of sexuality. You have an appetite, but guess what? If you allow that appetite to rule over you, to dictate over you, and to determine your choices and your trajectory, you actually are coming into bondage to an appetite. Instead of rightfully acknowledging, I have a desire for something, but I can actually choose how I satisfy that desire. I'm going to tell you the key this morning to freedom in your sexuality is just like this morning as we were worshiping here and we were singing, holy are you Lord God Almighty. For you single person, when you're tempted and longing for relationship and connection and some kind of a physical outlet, I guarantee you if you will come before the presence of God and have your appetite filled in his presence and be satisfied with connection connection with God, I'm going to tell you it will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. I'm going to tell you married person, if you're discontent in your marriage and you have become uh, judgmental and critical and even in a way that you've become almost in a way uh, in self-pity over your circumstance of this isn't what I want, this isn't what God promised me, God's promised me a life to be loved and adored, and <laughs> whatever you think you're entitled to. If you will take those places of discontentment and present yourself before Christ, you will be satisfied in a way that a spouse can never satisfy you. And guess what? All of a sudden, you will find contentment in areas of your life where you previously had discontentment because you are content in Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to say this to you this morning. Our sexuality is an issue 
of worship. Because when we begin the conversation of, you know, well, if I'm going to be single for the next 30 years, then masturbation's my only, you know, all of those things of somehow I need an outlet. Guess what? I'm going to tell you something. When sexuality begins to rule our decisions and our need for sexual connection rules our decisions rather than the word of God, I'm going to tell you something right here. It's an indication you are worshiping yourself and your needs above the creator. And oftentimes in this dialogue about sexuality, ultimately what we are saying before God is you are not enough and you are not big enough to touch this area of need in my life. Whereas, and hear me when I say this to you, if you can begin to identify desire in and of itself is not wrong. Desire in and of itself is not sin. And I'm not just talking about fornication and adultery here. What I'm saying is the desires that you have in your life, they are indicators of something. And instead of you satiating them in in very expedient ways, in very fleshly, lustful ways, if you'll present those desires before God, if you'll lay them before God and worship him above your desires, not only will you be satisfied in him, you will actually basically be using your place of desire as, as an inroad for greater worship, of yielding your needs and your desires to him. So we're just going to read a, a couple of passages of scripture here. First of all, James 1, 14 through 15 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do you see this, this, the way that James is laying this out for us? Is it's when desire is conceived. Meaning you may have a desire, but that does not mean that that desire needs to be conceived and then grow and bring forth death in your life. You can determine what it is you are going to do with desire. So I'm going to read you these few passages of scripture before we close out. Colossians 3, 1 through 5. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, which also means your affections, which is your desires. Set your mind, your affections, your desires on things that are above, not on things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Romans 6, 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it and its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, 
but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace, from from slaves of sin to slaves to God. What then shall shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sinning leading to death of, or of obedience leading to righteousness? Do you guys see the language here that you may have a desire, but then it's the question of who is it that you will present yourself to obey? Are you going to present yourself as someone that is a slave to sin, which leads to death, ultimately becoming a slave to your desires, almost feeling like you have to obey your every impulse. Or the question is, as we as people, will we rule over our desires and will we determine and dictate how we satisfy those things? Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life in peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And lastly, Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh, flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And those are contrary to one another so that, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, and heresy, and envy, and murder, and drunkenness, rivalries of the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God." But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That if we claim that we are Christ's, What we are called to do is not live according to our passions and our desires, but present them before him and allow them to be an indication of our need for him. Ultimately, your sexuality should be an indicator for you that you are in need of connection and intimacy with Christ. And what we find in Romans chapter 1... This is what it says in verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but because they were futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man 
and the birds and the four-footed animals and the creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Ultimately, what we find here is that the place of lust and being given over to our own perversions is an issue of worship the, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And so this is, we're going to close with a word of prayer. And I want to just encourage us as a community that first and foremost, your desires would not invoke shame or condemnation or isolation. But you would understand that they are just an indicator of what it is that you were created for, and that is intimacy and fellowship and connection with Christ. But also that in that, that it would provoke you to come to a greater worship of the creator rather than worshiping your own creation and the creation which is other men and other women in sexuality. Father, I thank you for the beauty, the authority, the wisdom of your word. God, we just thank you, Father, for the gift of truth. And Lord, we pray, Father, as a community that we would continually um, surrender and submit ourselves to the authority of your word. And Lord, I ask God that even as Paul declared that you become a slave of that which you present yourself to obey. And Lord, we, we ask, Father, as a community of people, Lord, that we would not be found presenting ourselves as slaves to lust and perversion and fornication and uncleanness. But God, that when there is desire or in temptation in our lives, that we would present ourselves before you in a place of worship, in a place of waiting, in a place of surrender. And Lord, that in that place, Lord, that you would transform us, Lord, that you would satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And Lord, we say, Lord, ultimately, although we may look at temporal and external things, God, we, we declare the greatest need of our heart is for more of you. That we were created for connection and intimacy with you. And God, we ask, Lord, that every place that we seek a counterfeit, uh, intimacy, that every place that we seek to be, fill, be filled in lesser places that will only lead us to bondage. God, we ask, Father, that we would be people that continually and habitually present ourselves before you, Father, in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.